Greetings. <laughs> Greetings, podlings. <laughs> what, is that what we're doing now, podlings? It's so cute. <laughs> I'm Stella. I'm Kat. We are X to the Zennial. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for listening. Um, we do a catch up before we start recording, and so Kat and I have been talking about uh, just all of the things. It's been three weeks. Um, and both of us have a lot of like projects and things that we're working on and through and whatever. So yeah, Stella came out last, I was going to say last week, but it was three weeks ago. That was the fastest three weeks of my freaking life. Three weeks that oh, I am shelters. retiring and now I've got lists and timelines and I'm making arrangements and ah, things are happening. Making all the shifts and changes. Yes. I also have established myself as a bad bitch, uh, because I now have hand tattoos. They're amazing. <laughs> very beautiful. Thank you. They're very um, stunning. Thank you to uh, to my tattoo artist, Monessa Contreras, um, at Brujeria en Mas. Um, so, yeah, I, I tattooed my hands, so both the tops of my hands and my knuckles, and they say hard path, because I always take the harder path. Choice. I mean, <laughs> it, it works for you. It does. And and one of the things Mo pointed out is why take the path that everybody else has taken? Because then, you know, they've already done all the things and picked all the fruit. And, you know, I all I tend to forge my own path. Um, and that tends to be harder, but I learn better that way. Right. And think about how smart you are. I'm so smart. You are so smart. And all the lessons you've learned. So many. Picking yourself up and throwing yourself out there and doing it all the hard pathway. All the hard pathway, so. I love it. Thank you. All right, so you chose the topic tonight. I'm going to let you dive right in. All right, I chose the topic tonight. So the topic is based off of a recent medical situation I've been going through. So we'll talk about the medical stuff and then okay. we'll, then I'll be all, boom, 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 this is the topic. <laughs> uh, at the end, I'll summarize, we'll pull it all together. Like we do. Like we do. So I've been going through some medical issues. So I have polycystic ovarian syndrome and I have endometriosis. And you've had those for a while. Like that's been... For like my whole life. Okay. And so... Can you give us a little bit of uh, definition? Oh, okay. So polycystic ovarian syndrome is a... It's not just about cysts on the ovaries. It's actually an endocrine issue. So okay. it's a hormonal imbalance in the body. Mm-hmm. So at one juncture in my life, I was basically a dude because I had no estrogen and no progesterone. <laughs> and I was basically a dude minus the outer parts. Right. I look like a chick, but hormonally speaking, I was testosterone dominant. I didn't have any luteinizing hormone, which makes the lining of your, your uterus... No, I had a surplus of that. Okay. You had um, too much estrogen? I, I had no estrogen. No estrogen. No estrogen, no progesterone, and I had no FSH, which is a follicle-stimulating hormone. Which and is what releases the ovum or the egg into yep. the uterus. Yes. It okay. releases it from the follicle on the ovary. Okay. And so that's why polycystic ovarian syndrome is called that, because the... FSH is repressed because you don't have the estrogen and progesterone levels to make it happen. So okay. what happens is the follicle goes to release the egg, uh-huh. and it can't because there's not enough hormone to stimulate that to happen. So then it sits in the ovary and becomes cystic. Okay. And the cysts can become infected. They can become just a whole a whole slew of shit can happen. So you Absolutely. Can have to have have them removed surgically. Sometimes they rupture. It creates a lot of pain. It's yeah, it's bad. 
it's a bitch. Um, and so, yeah, all this really was since childhood, since I started menstruating at 10. Um, and I went to my first, you know, gynecological appointment at 16, you yep. know, not an advocate for myself at all, not knowing how to do that, not sure. knowing how to say the word vagina without <laughs> vagina. <laughs> um, yeah, obviously it was not very mature at 16, I, I promise. Um, and so went, said, hey, I have really bad cramps, like it hurts all the way down to my knees, like something doesn't seem right, and was just told, hey, yep, everybody's got cramps. And I was like, oh, okay, cool, that's good to know. Um, then went in again at 20, saw a gynecologist, you know, everybody's got bad cramps. Oh, so really dismissive okay, cool. and not listening to what you're trying to say is I, this feels not typical. Right. I don't feel like everybody lives in the pain that I live in. Like, sure. I don't know if I'm, you know, describing enough to you how much pain I'm in, but I'm not looking for opiates here. I'm looking for answers. Yeah. Um, but I did not, again, have those advocacy skills. Um, until I was finally diagnosed at 26. So at 25, I gained about 100 pounds in one year. Because again, wow. it, it changes your insulin. It's also an insulin intolerance comes with it. So hashtag keto lifestyle, right? That's right. where this comes from. To control and manage my health. And so, um, but at 26, or at 25, gained about 100 pounds. The next year, I gained about 30 pounds and was just not well yeah just I was not a well human I was struggling in so many ways and then at 26 with the weight gain I also started growing a fem stash okay so, right. and that happens hormonally um it's just one of the things our, our hormones switch out like every seven years and so we'll get a fluctuation uh of higher hormones or lower hormones and it does affect hair growth it affects um your skin, it affects so many different things, mood, um, and so, yeah. Hormones are a big deal, and insulin is actually a hormone. Yep. A lot of people are like, what? Come say, what? That's a hormone? But that's why an endocrinologist sugar. helps with those things. Exactly. And so, because they understand those, like, hormone profiles. So I went in at 26 and saw my first male gynecologist and said, hi, I've been having hot flashes. I'm growing a fem stash. I can't stop gaining weight. Like I, I don't even eat and I can't, and I'm still gaining weight. Something is, <clears throat> something is very wrong. Right. I have the worst periods. They're heavy. I have clots. Like it's just not a good, it's just something is wrong. And finally, instead of the dismissive, oh, everybody has cramps. He said, let's do some blood work. Awesome. Thank right? you for listening. So it took 10 years. 10 years from my first gynecological visit, and I had others intermittently and mentioned it, and in there I was diagnosed, because um, I went in with, again, just abdominal pain out of control, and I went in, and that's when they found a septate in my uterus, which is a division of the uterus, okay. which is when I was told, hey, you'll never carry a baby to full term, Okay. and I was like, oh, okay, but at that same, in reflection, thinking at that same appointment, they had said, you have cysts on your ovaries, but the focus at that moment in time... Was your uterus. Was the uterus and the septate, because it was pretty significant septate, and that's what they focused on. Like, yeah, we saw a few, a few uh, cysts on your ovaries, and I mean, nothing really... They didn't follow up on that, didn't explore that, and it was the septate talking about, you know, my infertility. And sure. I was only... I was little. I was like 22, maybe, at the time, 21. And so, <laughs> now you look back and I was little. I was just a baby. I, I was, was 22. I was just a baby at 
the time. This is 17 years of life ago. <laughs> and so uh, that was the focus at that time. And then I kind of had to come to like resolution on that, which was fine because I was going to go to graduate school. I was going to have a career. I really didn't want to get married till I was 30 or have kids till my 30s. And I was like, yeah, I'll overcome that barrier. Like, it's fine. Whatever. I, I'll deal with that when I deal with that. I'll come to that when I come to that. Then flash forward to 26, the PCOS diagnosis mm -hmm. of that was kind of sealed the fate of you one, you got a bunk ass uterus with the division in it that's in two parts. Mm -hmm. And two, you have like this issue with your follicles and you're not producing eggs. You yep. are infertile. Yeah. Um, and so some of the solutions that are offered at that time of the diagnosis were to do hormones, to do birth control. Sure. And I'm not a big proponent of birth control, your body, your choice. I don't like hormones in my body, did those in my teenage years, basically exhibited bipolar 2 behavior. It's not good for my system. Sure. Like, it was a mental health fuck when I was on birth control. Second I went off birth control, totally was back to my normal human self. And so, right. have a big fear of them. And I was like, you know, I'd rather not wear some other solutions. And it was, well, lose weight. And I was like, how do you lose weight when you're insulin resistant? Right. And this doesn't make sense. Like, but my body like, isn't doing what it needs to be doing. I'm not choosing to be heavy. I'm not choosing to, you know, gain all this weight. And, yeah, like, that would be great. But, but right, what are solutions? So right. I hired a personal trainer so I could learn how to work out. I uh, joined a gym, right? Mm -hmm. Joined a gym, personal trainer, started working with a diabetes nutritionist because I was also then two years later diagnosed with pre as pre-diabetic sure. and put at metformin. Well, with metformin, again, I just gained more weight. So I was like upward of like 250 in my weight yeah. and just was like, I don't know what to do. Like this, I've got to start looking at bariatric surgery or something because this is not healthy. I and at that point you were still 26 or you were still trying to figure it out? I was still trying to figure it I was about 20... I was about 28 when I started working with the um, diabetes nutritionist and was diagnosed with the um, pre-diabetes and put on the metformin. And like I said, the metformin, another another 20, 30 pounds went on almost wow. immediately from that. And it was like, I, and even the diabetes nutritionist, I was tracking everything, I was measuring everything. It was awful. It was the worst way ever for me to live. I'm not a tracker like that. I just not at all sure putting so much effort into it in like a six month time and then not seeing any results at, none at like all. the opposite was happening none at all and so in the six months that i worked with the diabetes nutritionist went to the gym four days a week worked with personal trainer one day a week i think i lost a cumulative of 10 pounds in six months wow and it was just mentally a fuck to me mm -hmm. i was like this does not make sense. Like, this is not working. And I really went into, like, this deep-rooted depression, had a lot of mental health issues around that. Yeah. Like, what the fuck is wrong with me? This isn't fair. And I hate saying that. It's right. something that I've really eradicated from my vernacular since then. Um, but, it, but it fucking wasn't. Yeah. Like, something was really wrong with my body. And so... And I, that lack of control. And, and anytime there's chronic illness... Often, you know, it, it's our default setting to blame ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. I should be able to control this. And the fact that you were doing all of these things and nothing was changing, that's where that mental fuck comes from. Is like, I have literally no control. This is nothing I'm choosing. And even though I'm doing all the right things, I'm still fucked. Absolutely. And I was just like, this is, this is ridiculous. So at 30, I was like, you know what? Fuck it. 
I'm just going to accept myself. So at 30 was the turning point to help my mental health. Okay. And it was, this is my body. Accept it. Learn to love it. I wore a bikini for the first time in my life at 250 pounds on the Love beach, that for you. Pranced around, had a great time, and just stopped with the insecurity and just started working on acceptance. Yeah. Like, I cannot change this. I have worked towards this for, and that at that point have been several years of just hating my body and hating myself and feeling disappointment constantly. Plus pain, plus all these other hormonal things. Yeah. Plus having to go through the grief of now I'm in my thirties and I kind of do want a family and and then looking and seeing all of my friends having children. That must've been devastating. It was so hard. I was like, you know, this is something that I think I think I want, you know, I'm seeing everybody do this. This is really, this is hard. Yeah. Between 30 and 32 was really, well, really 28 and 32 was really hard. But at 30, I was like, stop with the hating yourself. Accept what you have. Appreciate what you have and learn this thing called gratitude, which there we talk go. about a lot. All the time. All the time. So in working on that gratitude and working on that acceptance and all the things, um, definitely came to self-love. And yeah. Appreciation for the first time and said, I'm not going to resist myself anymore. I'm going to accept myself. This is what love it that. is. I'm going to still continue to try to work out, even though it hurts and moving hurts and everything hurts because I'm carrying all this weight and my back hurts and my knees hurt and, and it's uncomfortable to be at the gym because, you know, I just feel, unco- I feel uncomfortable. And nobody is mean to you at the gym. Right. Nobody was mean to me. Nobody ever said a <laughs> fucking mean thing to me. I love it that. It was my own shit. Yep. And so I was managing my own shit, was in therapy getting a lot of support and help in in loving me. And then at 32, yep, that was it. At 32, I was uh, starting to look into gastric bypass surgery. Okay. So I was like, I really, this is extreme, but I've tried everything. Yeah. I've tried the Atkins diet. I've tried the Mediterranean diet. I've tried the Slim Fast diet. I've tried diet pills. I've tried not eating. I've tried everything. Yeah. Everything. No, none of this. Do this. Blah, blah, blah. So I was like, okay, last attempt at, at something. So I looked up on the internet, polycystic ovarian syndrome and weight loss. Uh-huh. So instead of being like, I took into account the PCOS. I deep dived into it and was like, it's time to just start researching the shit out of this and figuring this out. <clears throat> and that's, <clears throat> and to be clear, like that's your way is that, yes, we can very much get stuck in the kind of victim, why is this happening to me? This isn't fair. Like, that's a place to start. But what I know to be true about you is then you switch, you turn a corner, and then you're you're like, I'm going to do whatever I can using the skills that I have to research, to um, really focus on finding a solution. Yeah. And I love that, that your mental shift was self-acceptance, was how do I love the life that I have? Mm-hmm. And then you attach to, I I want to be here right. and I want to do this better. Right. And so I love the way that your brain works in terms of I'm just going to do all of the research. I'm going to ask all the questions. I now have learned how to advocate for myself to ask questions, to not be shy about it, to not be dismissed. I'm going to do my own research. And I love that that's where your brain goes when you have a problem to solve. Because I had to. Because, I mean, the diabetes thing was not getting any better. Right. You know, and I 
I was like, I'm going to die before my parents. Like, at this rate, I'm going to die before my parents because I'm carrying significant weight. And I, and I, I need to figure this out. Yeah. And so, and no one is helping me in the medical community with this. Sure. You know, I, I have one thing and that's a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. So get to Dr. Google. What is PCOS? What is insulin resistance? What are this? Let's learn everything I can about PCOS. Let's learn everything I can about insulin resistance. Yep. Right. And then I put in the key factors, PCOS and weight loss. What works? Okay. And then, boom, this thing called keto pops up. And I was like, well, that's a diet I haven't tried. <laughs> I mean, I'm considering hacking out my stomach. So, you know, why don't we try one more thing? Sure. What's the harm in one more thing? I'll give it 90 days. Yep. In 90 days, I should see some kind of result in accordance to all this research, right? And start researching the hell out of this keto thing. And there wasn't a lot of information available back then. Mm-hmm. There wasn't. It was kind of keto was still like a newer... This was about... Seven, eight, nine years ago? This is when I was 32, so that would be seven years ago. Okay. And so it definitely, you would not find any keto products on the shelf like you do now. <laughs> uh, okay. You couldn't even find them on Amazon back then. And so I was like, okay, keto. All right, what do I do? No sugar, 20 grams of carbs and no sugar. Okay, so just eat meat and cheese and, and vegetables. Yep. I like all those things. Yes. This sounds easy. Mm-hmm. So the first month, so I set a 90-day clock, right? Yeah. Again, I was like, put a time frame on it, and if this does not work, then you are fine. You have accepted. We are hacking out your stomach. Okay. Um, like, that's just what we got to do. You have a baby sister, and you're going to die before you see her get married. Wrote myself an amazing letter okay. of love and acceptance and all the good things, but also the things I was worried of and all the hopes that I had for living a long, healthy life. I love that. So you started manifesting even then to be like, this is who I want to be. This is who I am. This is who I want to be. This is how I see my life. Right. I, I love that. I want to be healthy and I want to live a long And time. that is so huge. I want to be healthy and I want to live a long time. There you go. And there it is. And so I started keto in the first month. I think I lost 17 pounds. Wow. And I wasn't... Just from cutting out sugar, just just from eating like meat and fat and veg. Right. Yeah. I just, I had a food list and I put it on the refrigerator. I cleaned out the house with all the things that I wasn't allowed to have. Got rid of those, right? Started preparing and building up. And then on January 3rd, I started... And I said, if it's on this food list, I can eat it. Yep. If it's not on this food list, I can't. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, and I can mix them in any variety, right? Okay, cool. And you're tremendously self-disciplined. Like, that's the other thing. When you set your mind and focus on your goal, you, like, no other human outside of myself will put <laughs> your fucking head down and just do it. And just get it done. Yep. And so, yeah, the first month, I believe it was 17 pounds. The next month was 12 pounds. The next month was another double-digit number, and I wasn't exercising. All I was doing was just eating what was on this food list, and all of a sudden, just... It It was melting off. Melting off. Yeah. It was just happening and just happening, and I was like, this is some kind of crazy voodoo or something. (laughs) Like, you weren't even intermittent fasting. At this point, you were just eating the food on the food list. I was just doing the food list. Okay. And so by July of that year, so I started January 3rd, by July of that year, I'd lost 80 pounds. Wow. And then I was like, well, I got a lot of loose skin. Yeah. So I guess I should probably, like, go get some muscles, and now I can actually go to the gym and work out and use all those skills that I learned from that personal trainer about working out. Yep. (laughs) Let me just stop really quickly. 
We're talking about our own personal stories. Kat, you're sharing your very personal journey. Yep. We do not advocate anything that's going to be unhealthy for you. We want you to, one, do your own research, two, talk to your medical professionals, and do whatever makes you feel the best. We are not advocating in any way for doing things in a willy-nilly fashion, because that's not who we are, and that's not how we do things. We are not medical professionals. We are not dietitians. We are simply giving our own stories. Right. Sharing personal narrative. Absolutely. Continue. So, thank you for putting that in there. Yeah. Please consult a physician. Or, you know, just do your own research. Right. We're not experts in this at all. No. Personal experience. So, yeah, I started working out. I started lifting weights. I started running again. I hadn't done that since, like, my early 20s. And you did track and all the things. I did track. I did cross country. I did competitive swimming. I was super athletic. But then once this hormonal shift changed, you know, and that shift, that seven-year hormonal shift, it just all went to hell in a handbasket because I gained 100 pounds in a year. That's insane. And so, but I can imagine getting that weight off and just being able to physically move around, that was significant for you to be motivated to then continue to do those things. Absolutely. And, like, fall in love with how strong my body was, right? Yeah. So I came to an acceptance, this is my body. But then I came to a new acceptance of, wow, my body isn't this weak, disabled, infertile piece of garbage that I, you know, had put in my head and said and thought and felt. It's strong and it's capable and look how much weight I can lift and look at my squat like I'm squatting like 200 pounds like this is amazing so yeah so that's kind of like the whole journey so I've been on the keto ever since Mm -hmm. you know to really help um control the PCOS sure Um, so then at 30 33 after my divorce after I lost all that weight Mm -hmm. I was like you know what let's reinvestigate having a having a child okay you know, I, I couldn't, and so let's look at this, because I think at this juncture in life, this is what I want. Yep. This is what I want. So I sought fertility, had surgery on my uterus, had the sept tape fixed, because the time difference, the change over 10 years. Just know, in terms of, like, what was available options, to you. Yeah. You know, before it was like, this is impossible, and then it became, oh, this is totally easy. It's a 90-minute surgery. It's in and It's outpatient. fixable. It's fixable. We'll remove the sept tape vaginally, and you'll be good to go. We'll make sure everything's good to go. They did blood work again. I was no longer a dude in a lady body. (laughs) I had balanced out my hormones. They were like, your hormone panel is perfect. Like you have estrogen, you have progesterone, you have follicle stimulating hormone. Like it's amazing. Like Like you reversed a lot of the things that you'd lived with for so long. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Bananas. But we've talked about that. Like, the thing about eating differently, and again, eating for your body, do your own research, it changed all of these things for you. It did. It was what my body needed. And sure. everybody's body is different. Absolutely. Like, and that's the bottom line. What works for one does not work for another. This just happened to work for me because of the insulin resistance and the PCOS and all the things. Yeah. So I had that surgery. Okay. Um, the meta guy. Yes. Tried to make a baby. Yep. That didn't work out. Okay. The baby or the guy. Well. And that's okay. These are um, things. Lessons learned. Lessons learned, right? Um, And then. How but the I, other thing is this whole time you're falling in love with your life. I am. Richly in love with my life. And, and really connecting with who you are and what you want from your life. And I love that you talk about writing that letter 
because in doing so, and, and we talk a lot about like manifesting and, and identifying your limiting beliefs and, and putting it out there in a positive way, all of those things led you to this place, right? So even though there are things that didn't work out, right. you're still richly in love with your life. Absolutely. And feeling good and feeling healthy. And even at the end of that breakup, yes, did I cry for two weeks? Uh-huh. Of so course. Excited. But move past that, you know, met other men, you know, contemplated, you know, kind of fell away from this concept of babies and more of I want, you know, and I wanting a family. Identified in between. Had a little bit of a, a little medical scare in there with a, a fibroid incident. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they, you know, that freaked me out and they put me on a restriction and were like, you probably should take a pause yep. on trying to have a baby since you're having these fibroid issues. We want to give it some time, see if it grows back, you know, kind of check that out. So there was a little bit of a pause in all of that. And I was like, okay, good to know. And you pivot really well. Yeah. I mean, because you know, as, as you've kind of talked about this journey, there have been a lot of moments of pivoting, of kind of switching gears, reevaluating, taking stock, and then moving forward. And so when I talk about pivoting, it's really like, stop for a second, take in all the information, make a, a decision that works for you, pivot, switch, you know, switch gears, change direction, do what you need to do. Right. Just reevaluate, move forward. Yeah in a different direction than you thought you were going and that's okay yeah and that's okay that's being resilient 100 percent. and so i was like okay you know take a break okay sounds good you know met another guy and didn't really want to do that do a family with him and i was like this isn't a person to have a family with and when i was going through that fertility journey it wasn't about having a baby it was about having a family okay i was trying with my ex it was about having a family and mm-hmm. building a family. That's what it was. That was the inspiration. Because I was right. like, oh, there's still rules. Only one of them. Like, ah, you know, i got to stay sure. home. This is going to be overwhelming. But building that family. And so, flash forward. So that was all mid-30s in a, in a crunch there for you. That's a lot of years of data. Um, this past fall, I started having, again, some problems. And in October, started having some pain. And in November, really, was like, there's something going on. Sure. Started having, um, I wish, no periods. I don't have a PCOS where you don't have periods. I have a PCOS where you get two periods a month. Um, <laughs> it's the special kind. The you can't special. do anything typical, Kat. I know. It's the special She kind is of- extraordinary in all ways. All the ways. I produce so much menses. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Um, and so, you know, started tracking and was like, okay, I'm having nine days of menstruation and I'm having two weeks off and I'm having nine days of menstruation. Something's wrong. Sure. Went in in December and kind of explained, hey, I have endometriosis. They found endometriosis when they were doing the um, fertility stuff and doing that deep dive exploration of cameras in my vagina and my uterus. Um, Once they fixed the septate, they also recognized that there was scar tissue around the uterus. Yeah. And okay. they actually removed some endometrial tissue during that surgery. Okay. That they that they had found um, on an ultrasound and clean. They just cleaned it up. Give sure. It cleaning, good scrub. And so, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I kind of explained all this in December and I said, you know, I, uh, these are the things I want now being an advocate for my health. Yes. I came in and I said, I would like you to look at my FSH. I'd like you to look at my testosterone. I want my estrogen and my progesterone checked. 
I want a pelvic ultrasound. Mm -hmm. I have the endometriosis. I have the polycystic ovarian syndrome. I'm having very heavy menstruation. I'm pretty sure I have another fibroid maybe going on because this is what kind of happened in my 30s and had to put a pin on. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, you know, these are kind of the things that I'm thinking are happening. Um, so let's go ahead and do it. So I tell doctors now what you will do. Yeah. Um, You're not asking for them. You yeah. are the expert on your body. You are the expert on what you're feeling and your situation. And so you're going in and you're explaining that to them rather than, I don't know, you tell me. Right. I love that. Absolutely. Because I was so dismissed. Like, everybody's got cramps. I will never my whole life forget those dismissive words. Because For they, sure. My life could have been so different. But it was the way it was supposed to be because now look what a badass bitch I am. Right? Um, and so, <laughs> like, and resilient. And so, went in and she she was a little taken aback, you know, because I'm seeing a female gynecologist because I couldn't get in with my male gynecologist who I've seen since I was diagnosed because he was booked up. Yeah. Um, and I, I did need to get in. I was like, well, let's just get some things done. And sure. And then follow up with him if there's something to follow up with him and there's going to be. And so, because I know how I feel. Well, in all of these experiences, too, you very much became the expert on your own body, mm -hmm. right? Like you, even though the, the medical community was dismissive or, you know, not really paying attention, you internally went and connected with, I know something is off. And your intuition was, I need to have this addressed. Right. Because oftentimes I think as, as females, but it, it just as humans, um, people who are the experts, air quotes, will dismiss us offhand just because, oh, well, you don't know what you're talking about. And so it's really important for you to recognize, I know my body. Right. And when something is off, because you went through all of these medical issues, you trust yourself. And that is significant. And that is significant. Because I had been having hot flashes over the summer I've been having hot flashes through the fall still was having the hot flashes and I was like I want the testosterone check because I want to see if it's elevated and I want the estrogen and progesterone check because I want to see if it's repressed right now right because that means that something is going on with my PCOS and what I'm doing right now to manage it which is through the keto and low carb lifestyle and all these things is, is is not working right it's something is not working yeah you know and I, I need to get at the root cause of what is going on so that I can fix this mm-hmm because I do not want to live this way. Hot flushes are the worst. Um, <laughs> well, and 90s of menstruation is also pretty terrible. Yeah, nine days of menstruation two times a month is also very terrible. Right. Um, Costco's got great deals on tampons. Um, <laughs> by the bulk. Noted. Just in case you need. Um, and so... Again, this was a female gynecologist, very taken back, and I said, and I want my FSH looked at, and she said, well, we'd only do the FSH if you were looking at getting pregnant. And I looked at her, and I said, how do you know I'm not looking at getting pregnant? Because, again, that was an assumption, I'm not looking at getting pregnant. Right, but it is dismissive when, again, you know your body. I know my body, something is wrong, run the test. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of how I resolved that was, well, how do you know I'm not looking at getting pregnant? Right. I'm still technically in childbearing range until I have gone through menopause. Right. Which could be a while. Or now. Who knows? Maybe I'm going through menopause. So check I, it. Just check just it. Just check it. I'm the one who has to pay the bill in the end. Just do it. <laughs> right. Take my blood. 
And so did the blood work. They she scheduled went ahead and scheduled the ultrasound and um, said we'll do an ultrasound. And I said I want a diagnostic ultrasound. And mm -hmm. she's like, well, it's not certain that something's there. And I was like, but if something is there and I'm positive there is, I want a diagnostic. Yeah. And so she said, okay, cool. All right, cool. I think she got it. Like, yeah, I'm not leaving your office until you just do what I tell you to. Sure. And then more if you like can, you work you for can, me. If you can think of anything else that yeah. I haven't covered totally we'll do that too but these this is my laundry list so sure this was it the last few last week of December so I went in for the pelvic ultrasound the diagnostic uh January 3rd okay so two weeks ago I'm looking at your calendar the week before my birthday January 30th happy birthday to me <laughs> um I got a call that week and um it was from that doctor's office and yeah. said we finally got the radiology results and we've looked at them and you have a tumor with a blood supply we could call it a cyst but it could be a tumor um but it's significant to, it's significant it's the size of a grape it is on your right ovary okay and I was like oh okay and they're like we are going to recommend follow-up with your primary gynecologist yeah and I think too she was just like I don't want to deal with this <laughs> <laughs> she had the she had the full cat experience of advocacy sure um and so I was like duly noted so called that day scheduled and this Monday so just yesterday yeah. Had, uh, went in and had a very good discussion. So I had from the week before until Monday to do all my research on complex cysts with blood supply, tumors with blood supply. In the appointment that I had had in December, I specifically requested a CBC, mm -hmm. which is to look at your white blood cell count, which yep. is to look at which it could be an initial indicator of cancer. Right. It could, it's an initial indicator that your body is fighting off something. Exactly. And, and a lot of times that's what's used and that's how they detect, hey, you, you maybe have cancer somewhere in your body, even sure. if you're not feeling it. Yep. And I requested that because I knew something was going on with my body and that was one of my fears mm -hmm. was maybe this is cancer. But the CBC was great. Yeah. So that's where I'm at right now with, hey, the CBC is fine. There's this tumor, cancer, cyst, whatever. It's benign. not a tumor. <laughs> it's not a tumor. It's benign in my mind right now because that CBC was perfect. So Good. I feel real confident so we had a great discussion again I went in and told my awesome gynecologist who does know his shit who's the one who diagnosed me and I specifically and he's got all of your history your records like he knows your body he knows my body he is the, he is amazing he is the one who has helped me through all of this he lets me advocate for myself he listens he he does the things superior I keep my insurance I pay extra insurance than most people do just so I can see this man perfect and so we went through a treatment plan. So we're doing a right ovary removal, a right fallopian tube removal, a left fallopian tube removal because it decreases your chances by up to 60% of developing uterine or ovarian cancer. Great. And then we are also doing an ablation okay. of my entire uterus. All right. We are taking a preventative and proactive model and method to not having to have surgery again. There you go. Not having to have this fear and this scaredness. And there we got to the fear. And this is tonight's topic. <laughs> if anybody ever said I wasn't a long-winded storyteller. They were not lie. listening. They were, they too, no. They some doubt. Because I will get there when I get there. Right. And that's my life and how I roll. 
because I always do get there when I get there. So Absolutely. we're going to talk fear. So just so you know, uh, just so you know, Kat, we are at 35 minutes. And so normally we do a 45 to 47 minute podcast. Um, we may go a little bit longer tonight. Um, and so we have done, it's not unheard of that we do a little bit longer, but I do love that. Um, you know, it's, it's important. A lot of the things, everything that you said was important, but a lot of the things that you highlighted in terms of advocating for yourself, knowing your body, uh, recognizing what worked and what didn't, where your mental health was in terms of when you felt kind of hopeless and helpless that you could not control things at, at each point along your, your journey, there have been moments of fear. Yes. And so historically, how have you been able to manage that fear? Not like I'm managing it right now. Okay. Tell me more. So in my twenties, when I was told, you know, Hey, never have a baby. It was a fear. For sure. Wow. This is scary shit. And it feels very permanent. And this is forever. Okay, but again, I wasn't in a place where I was family planning, right? right? When I was starting to grow the fem stash and was putting put on all that weight very rapidly, I was very afraid. Sure. And in all that, in that fear, I became very depressed, mm-hmm. very anxious, very depressed and very anxious. For I didn't sure. want to hang out with people. I a lot of insecurity, I can imagine. Absolutely, absolutely. I was like, I don't want to go out with my friends because I don't want people to see me this way. Right. I don't, I, I can't control what's going on. I have a lot of shame. Okay. There's a lot of shame here. And I can't control this. You know, and I've, I've, I've talked very openly. I've been in therapy intermittently throughout my whole life. Sure. Um, and so, but yeah, a lot of shame and a lot of fear and a lot of self-hatred. Mm-hmm. Not goodness. Like your, neg- your self-talk, I can imagine, was very, very negative. Oh, it was awful. It was horrendous. I was the meanest person on the planet to myself. Or Absolutely. Me. Not kind. Right. It makes me want to cry. Um, it does. <laughs> I got a little like, yeah, I was super mean bitch to myself. Um, and then, you know, that fear when I was diagnosed with being pre-diabetic, like, mm-hmm. I'm going to die. Like, right. I'm going to die. I can't get a rain on this. I'm afraid for my life. Yeah. And again, that self-talk didn't improve. Yeah. It just got worse and worse. Like, you're useless. You're lazy. You, you can't get it together. You're, you're, you're an embarrassment, like, blah, blah, blah. You know, just, boo, the dwindle of the mental health and the dwindle down into the shame spiral and the dwindle into this living in that fear of, like, when am I going to die of a heart attack? When is it going to happen? Am I going to have a stroke? It was just constant fear of my health. Well, and a lot of that is both rational fears based on what you know, and certainly the kind of human you are, that when you get a diagnosis or get a bit of information, like, And we've talked about the fact that you have, we both do have an anxious brain. You will perseverate. You are going to ruminate and think about and obsessively think about all of the worst case scenarios. And that is, that is the, the very foundation of anxiety is usually based on one little nugget of fear that then becomes this perfect pearl of anxiety and terrible Mm -hmm. because it's, it's not based in, in enough facts. That's why we talk about fact checking. And, and I ask clients a lot, what is your fear? What are you afraid of? And when you can identify it, then you can fact check it. Right. And, and I love, and, and like I talked about, like you definitely will go now to a preventative 
research model versus going down the rabbit hole of all of the terrible things. But I can imagine that in the early stages of your health crises, that was a thing that you would do is just go down that rabbit hole of all of the terrible. So thinking about, you know, having diabetes and, and, you know, being insulin dependent and, you know, all of, of the potentialities of what could happen with this diagnosis. Right. It's terrifying. Absolutely. It's terrifying. Scary ass way to live every day because it never leaves your mind. And I did. I ruminated and ruminated and ruminated. So there was no room in my brain until I changed that in my 30s and was like, let's come to an acceptance. Yep. Let's just accept. Let's let go of some of this. Let's like get mentally healthier. I was in therapy um, with a great therapist at the time and really working on that anxiety and working on that depression pretty significantly yeah. to really help and scaffold you know, this acceptance and, and who I am and then, you know, to propel me into let's turn more into a research fact-based person. Yep. Instead of I just live in the fear. Yeah. Kind of run on that hamster wheel of terror um, lifestyle. And that really, that changed. I mean, that changed a lot. That was a me. significant pivot that at was, that point. Yeah, absolutely. And so even though I was accepting, like, cool, I'm going to die before my parents. No, I never accepted that. That's why I researched PCOS <laughs> and the, uh, and the weight loss, that's why I put that into Dr. Google. And that's why I was like, okay, I'll take this crazy asterisk of eating meat, fat, and veggies, and cheese. Right. <laughs> I'm sure, why not? I'm going to die anyway, why not? No, I'm thinking of hacking my stomach out, which is scary, too. Of I mean, it's, it's yeah, it's definitely scarier on, on that other level of, like, major surgery is always a risk. Absolutely. There are a lot more risk factors when you are overweight, when you do have pre-existing conditions, all of those things. And right. so that fear of not just mortality, right? But that fear of dying before your parents, not being able to see your sister's wedding, not being able to have the life that you had wanted or at least dreamed of having even though all of these realities were happening around you, right. you still really held on to the idea that I still want a life. Right. Absolutely. And in November, when I called to make the appointment, old me would have lived in that fear and put that, put this appointment off for months. Sure. Just in the anxiety months. and fear of the potentiality of it. And another thing wrong with me. Cause I knew something was wrong. Sure. Like I knew something was wrong. I, 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 I knew it. I felt it. I was tracking it. But the, uh, the old me, 20-year-old me, would have been like, oh, I'll go to the doctor next month. Oh, I'll go to the doctor next month. Oh, I'll go to the doctor next Avoiding month. because of the fear. Absolutely. Sure. Like, if I can just ostrich, if I can just stick my head in the sand and not know what the hell's going on with me, then, like, cool. That's better place to live. Absolutely fucking not. It's not. <laughs> um, so, right? So that's a huge, huge difference now in, in how I approach things and just, okay, let's get the facts. Let's get the information. And now let's get a plan. So, you know, my mom asked me, cause she went with me to the appointment. She said, you know, are you scared? Is this upsetting? And I was like, it's not. Yeah. I'm not in fear right now, even though I'm, I'm being excavated. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, right. I'm relieved. Yeah. We are now doing a proactive approach so that I don't end up in surgery again or I don't end up with the big C, you know, so I don't have live another decade of my life worrying. Yeah. Like when's the other shoe going to drop on this ticking time bomb called the uterus and ovaries and PCOS and endometriosis? When is this going to, 
when is this going to happen? That's the fear. Right. Right? That's the fear right now because I'm like, okay, but we have a plan, so I'm really not that scared. Well, and I think that the thing that creates a lot of anxiety in general in in most humans um, is the uncertainty, yeah. is the not knowing. So once you were able to go into the doctor and say, I want these tests and I want to be look at these things, what you were creating was more certainty, more information to then be able to make a decision. Right. But when we have uncertainty, when we are unaware of, especially with big changes, we don't know what the outcome is. And that creates a lot of anxiety. There's this fear of what I don't know, the fear of the unknown. And so it's, it's one of the things that it's important to, to really recognize that yes, change is hard. And there are a lot of curveballs that are thrown at us in life, because that's what life is about. Right. Um, but when we can create clarity, when we can get more information, when we can at least check the facts that we know for sure, it does reduce the fear. It does create at least a plan and gives you more control. Absolutely. And I feel very in control, which has been great through my 30s. And for sure. This whole process of the keto and, you know, balancing my hormones and then opening options and then having that control. Whereas in my 20s, there was none. It was no, 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 just not. And there was more uncertainty because when you're dismissed, something as off-putting as, oh, well, cramps happen, like that creates more uncertainty because then it, it's, it makes you doubt what you're feeling. It makes you doubt your intuition or doubt your, what I know to be true is something is wrong. And here's this medical professional telling me, well, you all have cramps. Sorry. Like it's, it's such a shitty model when, you know, we don't have the information. And so that uncertainty, that, that dismissed feeling, that lack of trust in yourself then creates the shame, then creates the guilt, then creates that hopeless and helpless feeling and your anxiety then, you know, kind of capitalizes on that and focuses on the fear. Absolutely. Absolutely. So am I afraid? No, not really. Okay. I am relieved. Sure. I am relieved. Because we have a plan, like you said. And it's, yeah. I know it's like, aren't you shitting? Everybody's like, are you freaking out? And I'm like, no, I'm not. Right. Because for the first time in my life, there's a health problem going on. Someone, I advocated, yep. someone listened, and we have a plan. Yes. And I don't have to go through all that that you just said. Yeah. Shame, guilt, fear, trauma, depression. I don't, I know in this, I don't have to feel any of those feelings. And it is fucking relieving well and even if they creep up in the moment that's right. where you can fact check it that's when you can go okay what do i need to know about this how how much of this can i control right and i love that even having a, a medical professional or someone else that you can kind of toss the ball to and be like now this is in your court right. this is your profession this is what you do i'm in charge of my body right. and i'm controlling what i can the rest is up to you, and I you trust this you know medical professional who has been transparent, honest, willing to listen to you, willing to go that extra mile, do those extra tests so that you get an answer, and then they have a plan. Yep. It's amazing. <laughs> well, it makes a significant difference for sure. It does. It does. 
it, uh, it changes the game, and I just I feel I feel bad for sixteen year old me, my whole twenties me, and living in what I had to live in. But I also have a lot of compassion for them because they persisted. They continued to ask the questions. Yes, they were uncomfortable. Yes, they were sad. Yes, their self-talk was shit. And and yes, they they were afraid. Right. And yet, every every bump, every challenge, every fucking difficult thing, you push through. So I am so proud of 16-year-old you and you in your 20s because you're here. I'm here and I'm going to stay here. And you have this amazing, beautiful life that you have created because, you know, 30-something-year-old you wrote yourself the letter that said, this is what I want from my life. And look around at your life, bitch. Like, it's pretty fucking cool. It's fucking awesome. <laughs> A really fucking amazing life. Right? I'm going to keep living it sans a few fallopian tubes and an ovary and menstruation. I mean... That's cool. <laughs> It feels like a pretty pretty dope deal if you're, if you're asking me. I'm to turn to my 40s without menses. That's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. So I might actually end up getting to donate blood once in my life. Okay. I know. Because so, you'll have enough? Because I've been so anemic my whole life. I've never been able to, to give that gift. I just keep getting tattoos, so they get a little bajiggity about oh. that. But <laughs> I am very proud of you. And thank you for sharing that. I think there's a lot of our listeners who gain a lot from just listening to our narratives and how we've been able to work through these things and overcome um, because resilience is a big thing we talk about a lot. Anxiety. I mean, we, you and I have both identified as, as anxious humans because that's just who we are. Um, but we've turned that into a superpower. Like we can worry something to death or we can use the skills and tools that you and I talk about a lot in terms of fact checking and controlling what you can and living presently in the moment and using gratitude and being mindful of working through the anxiety rather than shoving it down rather than putting our heads in the sand rather than, you know, kind of living in that victim mentality of why is this happening to me? Right. We take that opportunity and yes, it takes practice and yes, it takes work because both of us are still who we are. Right. But what you've done is you have created a superpower of strength and research and resilience and being able to pivot and, and accept change and be better for yourself. And that is significant. Thank you. You're very welcome. I see you. Aww. Oh, <laughs> she ain't gonna make me blush. <laughs> so that is our discussion about fear yes we can have it or we can use our skills to work through it work through it confront it head on yep get the information make a plan and keep marching on harder path (laughs) 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 all right thank you so much for listening we're x to the zenial the letter x the number two t-h-e-x-e-n-n-i-a-l you can find us at gmail.com at x to the zenial underscore podcast or luna x2 on Instagram. Thank you.